welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. So, what we're going to do is maybe we're going to have a look through the book of Romans over the next few days, um, and we'll go on complete tangents at points and wander off into the middle of nowhere and all sorts of other different things. But um, the reason we're going to look through Romans is it's a really helpful um, book when we're looking at what is the gospel as a whole. Um, And the reason is because um, most of the writings in the New Testament came from authors who knew their audience very well. Um, they had maybe spent time in the location they were in. They were writing to them as friends, as close loved ones. And Paul writes to Romans. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans in Rome, um, and he doesn't know them. He, he doesn't know the people there. He he's not spent any time there. You know, when he writes to Ephesians to the people in Ephesus, he started that church. You know, he was there when it started, and he grew it, and he was there for a few years, and then he left, leaving people he really trusted in charge. So. Ephesians, when he writes to, Ephes- uh, to the Ephesians, he's not like writing, hey, this is what the gospel is, blah, 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 because he spent years explaining that, you know? He, he left people really like knowledgeable and charged to explain that to new converts. So he's dealing with like much more complex issues. Or when he's writing to the Corinthians, you know, again, he knew that church intimately. So he's dealing with like, they're like, hey, we've got this problem. How would you deal with it? And he's like, well, I would do this. You know, it's much more... Um, church management you know it's much more like nitty-gritty day-to-day but the romans um he's writing to he doesn't know he hasn't spent time forming uh in them uh, a healthy um, holistic view of the gospel and so it's just a really helpful um book because it's almost a crash course into what would you know what would paul teach if he could just show up at a church and, and give them a quick introduction of like here's the gospel as a whole here's here's the message here's the ups here's the downs here's the overall uh things and this is what you should do with it um, it's actually really helpful. And one of the things that we often miss about uh, Romans is that it was written to Jews. And you might think, like, you think Romans, you think it's written to people in Rome. The last people you think of are Jews. You know what I mean? You're thinking of, like, I don't know, people in their big, like, weird hats and their Roman centurion costumes. And, you know, like, you're thinking of Romans. Like, that's what you're thinking of, yeah? But actually, it was written to a Jewish group in Rome. Um, and this group, um, history tells us, again, there's not much uh, solid uh, data on this, but the, the, the lore or, or the history behind it is that there were people at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and there was this amazing encounter and um, people got saved and everyone was running around speaking in tongues. You remember all that happening? That was happening when um, everyone was on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so there's people in all these different countries and they were all hearing their own language and remember all that's going on. The, 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 the lore is, the, the, the history is that there were people from the Roman uh, synagogue doing a pilgrimage to Israel that were there that day, got radically saved and encountered gods in this amazing way. The Holy Spirit falls and like just boom. And they're like, what must we do? And Peter preaches this awesome message. All spirits going to fall and all the flesh. And like, you know, this is what you're going to be saying. You killed Jesus, but he's come and he's returned and he's, he's forgiven all. And, you know, the spirit's fallen on all. And he's given this amazing message. And these people from Rome got saved and then went home. Right? I mean, that's what you do when you finish your pilgrimage. And so they went home having this incredible encounter with God and this brand new message about this Messiah, about this radical transformation in what it was to be a Jew. And yet, can you see a problem with that? Like, it's, it's not as if they were discipled for, you know, two years or whatever by Paul and then went off and started a church. They, they went back to their synagogue and they started telling this message about, hey, we, we were there and there was this crazy thing happened. And this guy, Peter, who no one knows, right, he's completely uneducated, he's a fisher guy, fisherman, fisher guy, that's the technical term. Um, he's a fisherman. I mean, like, you know, that's what they said about Peter, wasn't it? They said, who, who are these guys, these apostles? They're just like uneducated fishermen, like they, get, they don't know what they're talking about. And so this is, this is them. They're like, well, we, there's a guy and he just preached this good message and this is what's going on. And, and they preached this message and basically what happened is what would happen in most churches, it split, right? So a lot of the Jews stayed in the synagogue and a lot of people 
followed these guys and says, yeah, we're all about this message. It's amazing. Love, redemption, acceptance, forgiveness, God coming and being a man. This is amazing. Wow, powerful. And so they shifted and started their own movement, which became the church in Rome. But the church in Rome was largely Jewish. It was, it was from the synagogue. Um, and so in turn, in time, people joined, you know, people from the local area that weren't um, Jewish, they would hear this message and join and be part of this movement. But largely its core foundation was Jewish. It was, it was from uh, the Jewish belief system and the Jewish background. And so can you imagine you are having a good uh, Sunday morning service or afternoon where we are, we have a nice Sunday service and all of a sudden, someone walks in during worship and you've never seen them before you go ah cool unbeliever that's cool like hopefully get saved you know or something like that or whatever and you walk in in fact you don't even know if they're unbeliever or not you just don't know they're just some stranger they walk in and as the worship's happening they just go Poof, and they fall flat on their face having this crazy encounter with god maybe they're yelling or screaming or laughing or whatever that looks like for you that you would deem like wow they're having a good encounter with god whatever it is um maybe they're crying maybe they're whatever and worship finishes and they get up and they listen to a 30-minute message and it might be from anyone. Pick anyone in the church. Just like, it's a message and it's about one thing uh, quickly, you know? Like most Sunday morning services are not a, an overview of the whole gospel and every element of the gospel. Do you know what I mean? It's just a little bit. So it might be like, how to be a good dad or, you know, like how to love God in the workplace or, you know, or how to witness in the workplace or, you know, like different things like that. But it's probably not the most holistic, this is all it is to be a Christian message. So they sit there for 25 minutes and hear a message and the message ends and they get up and they're on their way out the door. They walk to the back and someone catches them and says, oh, did you enjoy this? Incredible. Changed my life forever. I'm going to go plant a church. I'll see you later. And they left. You'd be like, who was that guy? What's he going to do? And what the heck is his church going to look like, right? Because you're like, does he know anything? Like, was he taught anything? Like, uh, now you're reevaluating the sermon and you're like, the sermon was okay, but wouldn't plant a church on that, <laughs> you know? And, and, and this is kind of like a little bit like what's happened here in Rome is that these guys are Jews. They're really in, 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 ingrained in Jewish culture. They heard a good message. Maybe they were around for a couple of days or whatever, you know, but they weren't, you know, probably didn't just get up and walk away. And they probably talked to some of these guys, Peter and the apostles. And But for the most part, they had this experience and they went home and they started being Christians and they didn't have much to go on. Um, and so Paul, who is like, teacher extraordinaire right he travels all over the world he's teaching he's establishing churches he's 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 staying there for years to ingrain good teaching in them good theology most of his letter is challenging people's theology saying hey you're believing this that's totally wrong you've got to believe this this is where this is what the truth is like he's really big on like us understanding the truth and walking in the truth he is hearing all these stories about the roman church and he's thinking i don't know these guys and paul's head's pretty big right so he he's the one that's like right because he, he challenges all the disciples on that as well. He's constantly challenging them and going, I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, and eventually the disciples agree with him, right? So Peter, in his own book, he writes, you know, hey guys, Paul's stuff is really hard to understand. It's really intense. It's full on. But even though you might disagree with it, give it a proper listen because he's right. I found that out the hard way. Right? So even the other apostles, they, they kind of went through that experience as well. But, but Paul is really going, I want to reach Rome. And so actually when you, when you read the, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, um, it's funny, isn't it? Because you see all the way through, Paul really wants to go to Rome. You ever notice that? Like, it's like, so he finished up here and then he went to Rome. But when he was about to leave, like he fell into a sleep and then an angel visited him in a dream and says, you're not allowed to go to Rome. You've got to go to Macedonia. So he went to Macedonia and this happened, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, but then he went to leave. And as he was about to leave, an angel showed up in person and said, you can't do that. You, you know, he had a vision or whatever. You've got to go to here. And so he's like, so he went there and blah, blah. But after that, he wanted to go to Rome. But then there was a shipwreck and, you know, and it's just constant. He's trying to get to Rome and constantly God's like, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. Go over there, go over there. But you can see this passion to get to Rome. And he's also thinking probably much like we would in some ways of like, can you imagine you got to preach a message in the Houses of Parliament to all the leaders of the UK or all the leaders of Germany or wherever you, you're from, you know, you, you get to preach a really powerful gospel message to all those people. You'd be like, this could change a lot of things, right? You know, you sit down and you think, what would happen if I got to sit down with President Trump and like really help him understand the gospel of Jesus? Like that could have a real powerful effect because he's one of the most powerful men on the planet. Um, like 
Paul's got to be thinking, and it, and it does seem to come across in his attitude to get to Rome, that he's thinking, if I can just sit down with Caesar, oh wow, I could change the world. You know, and that's a normal response to think as well. You can understand his, his thought process, you know? Um, and so he's trying to get to Rome. He's like, I want to influence the influencers. I want to be a part of, you know, influencing people that are going to affect the whole known world. Because Rome owned the whole known world. You know, they were big dogs. They had taken over much of the world by this point. And so when he writes to Rome, he's writing in this period where he's trying to get there, but he can't get there. And he's got friends that have made it there. And, you know, and so there's some stuff going on. It's not that he's like, they're all idiots and they don't know the truth. And, you know, it's gonna be a disaster. But he's, he's really just really passionate about getting them to understand the gospel, walking it, making sure they're walking in a really healthy way and, and, and living an amazing life and enjoying God in the fullness that they could. Um, and so in that context, when we read the book of Romans, this letter that he wrote, we get to see a man who is passionate about them understanding the fullness of the gospel from beginning to end. What does it look like? What are all the different elements? And so if you're an introduction to what is the gospel, it's much better than Galatians or Ephesians or Corinthians because those are written to people that he'd already covered that. But this is his, like, you've never heard my message. Let me give you my messages, base core system and, and at times he, he goes a bit deeper towards the end of the book and so that's the reason we're going to look through Romans is I want to um, I want us to go on that same journey and, and understand what's going on um, for the the Jewish uh, uh, Christians uh, these, these these Christians that come from this Jewish system in Rome what they're what they're figuring out what they're working through and so um, what we'll find is Paul is uh, really challenging a lot of what they probably held as, as their system, as their value, in the same way that Jesus really challenged the Israelites and, hey, you think God's like this, but he's really not, he's like this, you know? Um, and that was a real hard message, but it was important, you know? It was, it was really important that people understood what Jesus is saying of like, hey, God's not like this, he's much more like me. He's exactly like me, in fact. <laughs> and so Paul starts Romans and he's writing to these, this group, and it's important that we know that this is a group of people that think they're it, right? The Israelites thought they were it. They were God's gift to the planet. And they had reason to because God had told them they were, right? And so um, it's no surprise that Israel thought they were the, the ones, the chosen ones, the important ones. We were God's people. Everyone else isn't, right? We're his favorites. They're not. Maybe under certain circumstances, people could kind of be grafted into Israel, um, you know, and so you would find, you know, like maybe they could, um, you know, bring in the, the stranger or the alien or the immigrant and they could bring them into Israel or, you know, they could find someone that was down on their luck and marry them in or something like that. But for the most part, it's like, hey, I'm an Israeli and I'm God's favorite person on the planet because my mom was an Israeli and my dad was an Israeli and their parents were Israelis. And that's what makes me so amazing is I was born this way, right? Um, and so Israel had like a bit of an ego problem in one sense. And it's important we understand that because even though they've experienced some message of God, uh, of Jesus and, and encountered the Holy Spirit and stuff, they probably have a lot of this in them. You know what I mean? And especially in a church that is largely Jewish and is grafting in people to the message, they're allowing people to come out of um, Israel, out of Jews, uh, Judaism. They're, they're bringing you know, Gentile believers into the church. There probably was this differentiation and we see it through acts don't we we see again and again and again like you know even peter an apostle you know but what with jesus he still wouldn't eat with gentiles you know when the jews were around he always ate with the jews because well the gentiles weren't that great and actually it took him a long time before he even accepted gentiles right um god had to give him like these crazy visions with meat and stuff coming down from heaven and he's like eat all this like do you ever think well, that's crazy Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to the whole world. What were they thinking? Go into all the world and find the few Jews there are and convert them to Christianity. Like, because it seems that's kind of what they thought. Because when they went and found Gentiles, they were like, oh, well, they're not supposed to get saved. And you're like, you guys walked with Jesus for three and a half years. And then when he rose up from the dead, he spent 50 days teaching you the truth. And you still don't want anyone but the Jews to get it. You're like, this is crazy. And so there, there's no doubt in my mind that this was probably going on in some different ways in that Roman church is that the Israelites were, or the Jewish people were on one side going, oh yeah, but we're the best Christians or we're the, we're the favored ones or we're the important ones. And they're, they're like, they're in and they're Christians and that's nice that they're accepted, but you know, we're better. Um, 
so what you'll see as we read through Romans, a big uh, theme coming through this is kind of trying to level the playing field. And this is actually where Paul starts. In Romans 1 and 2 and a lot of 3, he starts and he starts hard and it is brutal. And he is leveling the playing field. His, his whole language is everyone sucks. Everyone has got screwed up issues. Everyone has missed the point. Everyone has uh, failed God. Everyone is not doing so well. Even us Jews, you know, and he's like, God's creation was preached, you know, so even when, uh, you know, you weren't a good Jew who had God speaking to you in synagogue and things, God's creation preached the gospel to everyone and they still messed up. They still missed it and they still fell and they still were wallowing in sin and sickness. And it's, it's a pretty depressing start to a, a letter. Like if you're doing your Bible reading for the day, and you get like two chapters and it's like Romans 1 and 2. By the end of it, you're like, oh God, just kill me now. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's really depressing. It's really tough. And again, it's a good example of why we read things in context. <laughs> we read everything because that's not what Paul um, is purposing in his text. He's not trying to say that as in, hey, you suck. You're really crap and you've disappointed God and you're a filthy, rotten sinner. That's not his message. His message is he's trying to level the playing field. He's trying to paint the picture of humanity. Where is humanity? What is going on in humanity? And in this place, in Romans 3, there's a very significant verse that shifts everything. And so in Romans 3 is one of our favorite Bible verses. Absolutely love this one, right? So we love John 3.16. We love that, like we crochet in pillows and stick it on the fridge with fridge magnets. Or, you know, we love some John 3.16, God so loved the world, all that sort of thing. But you know what? Christians love in Romans 3. Romans 3.23, what does it say? It says, um, all have fallen short, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah, we, we love that verse. We quote it all the time. We use it and like we post it through people's letterboxes so they find out how terrible they are. And I mean, we love using that Bible verse all the time. And actually, if you look at it, it kind of sums up what he's been saying in the first three chapters. It's, hey, everyone's fallen short. Everyone's sinned. Everyone's screwed up. And we all fall short of how glorious God is. But you know what's funny? is it's half a sentence. And we quote it all the time as like the full thing. But actually it's half a sentence. It goes on. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and have been freely justified in Jesus. Huh. That changes the meaning quite a bit, doesn't it? Because like, it's one thing to focus on all have sinned and fallen short of God. So we, we can paint everyone as a filthy, rotten sinner and terrible, but we don't paint them as, oh, and they've been justified and freely forgiven by Jesus. Huh. Like, we don't post that through the door. You don't post a letter through the door and say, hey, you've been freely justified by Jesus. Enjoy your life. Right? And so, Paul sums up this first one, two, three chapters. He's, he's basically summing it up in this moment saying, look, everyone is screwed. And so you're reading this as a Jew and you're thinking, well, we're like pretty hooked up. You know, we, we know all the nations are sinful and terrible and we know we don't do that well. We, we screw up, but we've got our sacrifices and we've got the temple and we've, we've got our different devotions and our feasts and we know how to make ourselves right and holy before God and he makes acceptance for us, uh, exceptions for us because we're his people. And Paul comes in swinging hard and goes, they suck, they suck, you suck, everyone sucks, right? It's like the worst Oprah moment ever. Like, everyone sucks, everyone's screwed, everyone's in big, big trouble. Like, it's a pretty full-on, like, uh, message. And for these Jews that were elevating themselves up, they were suddenly put on exactly the same level as everyone else. And they go, well, this isn't good. Huh, this is not good at all. But then he shifts in that moment. So in Romans 3.23, he says, Look, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And all have been freely justified by God in Jesus Christ. So it doesn't end there. And actually, it isn't there at all. Because while all have sinned and fallen short of God, we also have been, past tense, justified and forgiven by Jesus And this is what sets up the stage for him preaching the gospel for the rest of Romans. And so again, it's really dangerous if you just pick and choose your verses because he's actually moving them. He's, he's, he's trying to lower them so they figure out, okay, this is where everything is so we can get somewhere. And so you can pull a verse out of context at the first couple of chapters of Romans and you can make it look like God is pissed off, angry, he's mad, or you can make it look like you're sinful and rotten and filthy and everyone's terrible and people are awful. But that's part of a past tense reality which he 
builds he builds that to deconstruct it. He sets it up so he can destroy it. You know, it's, it's setting up an argument to just crush it. And so he sets it up and he says, no, we have been freely justified by Jesus. And so, but then he builds on this. Um, and this is where we start to see an outworking of what he's trying to explain. And so um, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe read some of it. I think that'll probably help. But let's um, jump in around that time. So for all of sins, I'm reading from... Uh, Romans 3 verse uh, 23 and you can follow along if you want I'm reading the ESV so if you don't have the ESV it might be a bit harder to follow but you can trust me I'm, I'm reading it um, I just checked this is a Phil Dreiser translation <laughs> no um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God put forward as a propitiation and we can look at that a bit later on as by his blood to be received by faith this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? So you see what he's doing here? He's pointing to the Jews and he's saying, look, what are you boasting in? Can you still boast? And he's saying, maybe you can boast in the law. And he's like, well, that problem, the problem is it's not by the law that you're saved now. You're saved by faith. And so he's like, well, maybe we can save boast by faith. And then he sort of goes on a bunny trail and, and goes, oh, is God the God of only the Jews? And he's like, is he not the God of the Gentiles as well? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. And so Paul often talks about circumcised, uncircumcised to clarify between Gentiles and Jews. And so um, just huge in that context. They, they, they loved uh, their old circumcision, the Jews. They were really into circumcision. I'm not really sure how they did the whole testing and checking. It's like an awkward thing. Um, but yeah. So then do we overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. And we'll get to the law um, probably on Friday. Um, so jumping into verse uh, to chapter 4, it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So they're saying Abraham was the beginning of all of this. You know, he was, he's our dad. Like, it's, it's by him that we're saved. So what, was, what, was, what did he gain? What did he do to gain something? And it says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one who come, uh, who God counts as righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man whom the Lord will not count his sins. Okay, so let's pause there because I, I know I'm reading a lot of scripture, but I'm going to stop here and there and go over it and kind of explain it a bit because I, I know it's a lot to follow. Um, here he's saying, right, Abraham's your dad, right? And this is because to the Jews, it was all about your heritage, Yeah. It's all about we are Jews because we were born Jews and our parents were Jews and our grandparents were Jews and their grandparents were Jews and eventually you get back to Abraham. So we came from Abraham. That's why we're it. You know, that's why we're the bomb and you suck. It's really like very much how they viewed everything. And so they're saying, well, okay, well, let's go back to Abraham and let's see what he did that made him so wonderful. And they're saying, what did he do? Did he do something? And Paul's argument is he didn't do anything. He just believed God. And so just believing God, he was made righteous. And so he's saying, it's not about what you do. He says, in fact, if a worker um, does something for you, you don't give him something as a gift. You pay him what he did, like you pay him what he's owed. And he's saying, but actually that's not what happened here. Abraham believed and what was given to him was just a gift because he believed in God. And so he's, he's trying to frame up saying, look, this isn't about what you do. Because if there's one thing that the Jews held in high regard next to who we are, we're sons of Abraham, it was we have the law and we do the law. It's really important to us that we understand this. Because the truth is they knew that they messed up. They knew that they screwed up and they, were, they weren't oblivious to their history, right? The Jews had a lot of history and it's recorded all the way through the Old Testament. They screwed up a lot. But what made the Jews special is God gave them a bunch of rules 
and laws and said, here's what you do. If you do it, we'll bless you. If you don't do it, I won't bless you or curse you. But even when you screw up, there's some things you can do that will cover up your sin. You can do this sacrifice, so you can do this, you know? And so they, they held in high regard that at least we can be Jews by obeying this law and doing the right thing. Um, so it was really important. And so um, we'll jump into verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, so only for the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he became circumcised? So the Jews were, um, one of the things God said to them was like, I want you to be circumcised. And so to be a good Jew, you had to be circumcised, which is not great news to most people. Um, and so he says, right, I want you to be a circumcised. And that's how I know you're a good, faithful, obedient Jew. And so all the Jews would go, are you circumcised? Yeah. Are you circumcised? Yeah. Okay. You guys are good Jews. You're Jews. You're in our are in our family, and you are faithful to God. God loves you because you are a circumcised Jew. And they would look at someone else, a Gentile, and go, "You're not circumcised. You're a Gentile. You're a heathen, a pagan. You're evil. You're wrong. You're bad. And God doesn't love you. You're not in the family. You're not accepted." Um, but Paul's sitting here going, "Well, when God said to Abraham, I, 'I'm giving you all righteousness,' was he circumcised?" Which is like a bad question to ask Jews, right? Because he's basically just poking them in the side, right? He's giving them a good jab at what they really don't want to be jabbed, right? Their, their precious beliefs. And he's saying, they weren't, were they? Abraham wasn't circumcised. So circumcision didn't get Abraham his righteousness. It wasn't because he did what God wanted. He got circumcised long after he did what God wanted. Uh, he believed. And he says, he received circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was uncircumcised. So he says, God blessed him and made him uh, righteous before he did anything. And then he did what he should do afterwards. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So he's saying, you guys think you're special? You guys think you're the son of Abraham because you're circumcised and because you come from his lineage? He's saying, but actually, God blessed him before he was circumcised, and anyone that isn't circumcised is also his son, if they believe like he does. And that is probably one of the most offensive messages you could ever preach to a Jew. To say, that person over there that is not part of your heritage, that doesn't follow your tradition, if they believe the same as Abraham, if they believe in God in the same way, they're saved and they're his son. Like, that takes away what makes me special. And that disqualifies all these things I'm doing to make me special. You've, you've ripped away at the heart of me all these great things that I can do and, and stand on and, and say, this is what makes me right before God. This is what makes me faithful. This is what makes me good and just. And, and, and so it's a hugely offensive thing that Paul's doing here. He's, he's really challenging. And you've got to remember, this is written to Jews. It's a Jewish group. Um, and so it really, really would have been quite an offensive message. You wouldn't want to be the messenger that delivered this letter, you know? Um, you'd drop the letter off and be like, I'm, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't hang around for tea. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. That is the nail in the coffin. Because what he says there is he's saying, like I was saying, he's saying, if they're uncircumcised and they believe like Abraham, they're sons of Abraham. But then he says, but also people that are, are circumcised like Abraham, they're sons of Abraham, if they believe and walk like Abraham. So what's he saying? You can't trust just because you're in the family you're in. And so not only does he let all these people out there in, He's actually starting to disqualify people that were in. All these people that were like, well, I'm circumcised, I'm safe, I'm a, I'm a Jew. God loves me. And Paul goes, you don't believe like Abraham, so you're not part of the family. That's a hugely exclusive and terrifying message if you're only standing on, hey, I, I, I signed up, I ticked the box, I did something, you're right? Um, and the, the, the parallel might be today of people that walk in church and say a prayer and don't really care. And that's it. I, I said the right prayer. I'll go to heaven one day or something like that. And, and the parallel is like, well, that's not what it's about. It was never about saying a prayer. 
It was never about ticking a box. It was always about relationship. It was always about that, that engagement with God. And so he's really challenging what these Jewish people might have ingrained in them, some of them. And there might be people in this, this community that are really genuinely just there out of ticking the box, out of being circumcised. And it goes on, so it says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs. Faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, and there is no law. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who grants life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not ex- exist. We're going to stop reading scripture in a bit and we'll kind of like unpack a lot of this. But um, Again, he's, he's hammering home here. He's saying, you think it's about law. You think it's about doing the right thing. But Abraham didn't do the right things. He didn't. wasn't about that. He wanted Abraham to be the father of faith, of, of, of Judaism, of his way because he was a man of faith not of law he wasn't a man who did all the right things in fact if you look at Abraham's life he didn't do much right ever like he's a pretty terrible excuse for a man who's like you know godly amazing wonderful guy like you can't read a story and get onto the next page without reading him screwing up like he screws up every single story um, and so this, I think this is kind of God's kind of plan here he's like saying hey I'm not after someone that gets it right every time. I'm not after someone that ticks all the boxes. I'm after someone that has faith. And this man is a man of faith. And therefore, this religion is a religion of faith. Um, And so then it says this. um, In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope... Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he'd been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Stop and think about that. Do you hear what I just read? Listen again. Right? Think about Abraham's story. Do you remember Abraham's story? God promises him, hey, you're going to have a son, and there's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands, millions coming from your descendancy. Do you remember that story? Do you remember how it went? Remember how Abraham ended up having a son? Do you remember the story in Genesis? He had the son, like, the next day, immediately, right? Him and Sarah. No, right? Read this story and tell me if it's true, right? This is Paul writing in the Bible, okay? Tell me if this is true. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he'd been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Do you remember the story in Genesis? Does that sound remotely accurate? It's like night and day, right? I mean, remember the story? It's it's, it's ridiculous. Abraham was like pretty excited for about 10 minutes (laughs) and he believed it. On the mo- in the moment in fact he came running home to Sarah didn't he and he says Sarah we're going to have a, a son and it's going to be amazing and you know right but what's funny is what's really funny in fact let me um, let me uh, quickly read in fact I won't even read it it's too uh, much work uh, Hebrews 11, 11 Sarah and this is Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith passage you remember that it lists all these people with amazing faith Hebrews 11, 11 Sarah Abram's wife even though she was barren in old age, never doubted God or wavered, believing he would give her a son. 
That's another one to think about, right? Because it sounds a bit like this story, right? But you go back to Genesis and you consider the two stories of, of Sarah, right? Um, she's only really mentioned as having an active participatory part uh, in two parts. First part, uh, Genesis 18, I believe. Uh, Abraham comes running home after this amazing encounter with God and he gets his prophecy and says, we're going to have a kid. It's going to be amazing. And you've got to remember their whole life they've been barren. And they're old at this point. They're like in their 80s or 90s, I think, at this point. And he says, we're going to have a kid. It's going to be amazing. And, and I'm going to have this massive multitude of people. And they're going to be this nation that blesses all nations. And it's going to be incredible. And what does she say? You and me have a kid. Are you kidding? And she laughs at him. That's, that's Sarah's response. This woman who never doubted or never wavered. And always believed that God would give her a, a son. Her response was she laughed in his face. And the best part of the story, I love this is God shows up right there in the tent and just goes, Sarah, why are you laughing? Can you imagine how bad you feel, right? So he shows up and he says, God told us we're going to have a kid. And you're like, yeah, fat chance. You're being an idiot. That's stupid. And you laugh in his face. And then God shows up and starts going, hey, Sarah, why are you laughing at me? And then the best part, best, best part, I wasn't laughing. Like, why would you even try that with God, right? If God shows up and goes, why are you laughing at me? The last thing you do is like, I wasn't laughing. Like, he knows. Like, at least make up a good excuse. Like, oh, I, I was thinking of a funny joke I heard earlier. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, it's just ridiculous. It's such a bizarre story. And then what's funny about it is their son ends up being called Laughter. That's his name. Isaac, it means laughter. Um, and so, like, God had the last laugh on that one, I think. But Sarah did not believe and actually, the second time Sarah shows up in the stories, it's quite funny. She goes to Abraham and she says, Abraham, I've been pondering this prophecy you have, which is quite a good start, right? Because you think of like Mary, like pondering the prophecy God gave her and then she gives birth to Jesus. And it's like amazing, right? Oh, I've been pondering this prophecy, Abraham. And you're like, this is it. Sarah's got like her moment to shine. She's only in the Bible twice, right? I mean, in the Old Testament, in this, she only has like strong participatory roles where she's talking and stuff twice. So you really, if you had two points in the Bible, you were going to be there. You'd really want those to be your best days. Do you know what I mean? You want them to be like your, your A game. And so she really screwed up the first time, got called out on it. Second time, she's like, all right, Abraham, I've been considering this prophecy. Go sleep with your slave and have a baby because I can't have one. Like, that does not sound like Sarah never doubted or wavered in faith. It sounds like Sarah never had faith. Right? I mean, like, it's just, like, so opposite. And it's not like Abraham is different. Abraham consistently doesn't believe and actually goes out and does it, doesn't he? And so this is what I love is that apparently God chooses to remember only what he wants. It's amazing to me. Like when, it, when he says, I choose to uh, remember not your sins, when he says your sins are as far as the east is from the west, that's how far they are from me. I have no recollection of your sins. I don't think he's kidding. Like It sounds like he's got like serious amnesia because he goes, Abraham, strongest faith I've ever seen. Maybe as much as Sarah. She had amazing faith. Like, and you're like, dude, you were there. Like You don't even need a Bible. I know that wasn't what happened. And that's how he records it. And the best part of it, he goes, so Abraham, his faith, that's what I'm expecting from you guys. If you have faith like Abraham, you're in. And you think, oh, thank God I can do that. Because he basically had none. Like he had like this much faith that lasted about 12 minutes. Like I can maybe muster up that faith. Like that's an encouraging like moment. And it says, this is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised the dead, or from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So he's saying, if you can believe in Jesus as much as Abraham believed he'd get a son through Sarah, you're good. And you're like, man, that's not even believing that hard in Jesus. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I can believe in Jesus like pretty well most days I'm pretty sure I'm good and it's funny as well because we, we put such a fixation on faith right because it's important faith is a huge deal in, in, in our walk but to Jews faith wasn't nearly as important to Jews it was all about what you do and so all of a sudden they are presented with hey anyone out there that believes in God a bit like that believes in Jesus could raise from the dead, 
like has a, a bit of like, yeah, I believe that. I believe you could forgive me. They're in. And they're just as good as you. That's like a really offensive message to these guys. Because they really like being up here and having everyone else as second class citizens. But I want to talk about faith for a little bit and then we'll um, we'll break. But faith is a big topic because of stuff like this. Right? We read this and we go, wow, faith, yes, faith. It's all about faith. But let's not forget that faith isn't like unwavering, perfect, amazing faith. God remembers our best moments and forgets our worst. Big time. Like, big time, right? Because Abraham sucked a lot of the time. Like, if you read his story, honestly, I encourage you, read Abraham's story and find out how many times he did things right and how many times he did things wrong. And it's crazy. But the funniest thing to read is read his whole story and find out when Abraham gets in trouble by God. He never gets in trouble. He even does stuff that is like hugely destructive, right? So he goes to um, Egypt and he's got his wife with him and they go into Egypt and they're hanging out with the Pharaoh and he's like, oh, uh, she's my sister because he's thinking, if I tell them she's my wife, they'll kill me so they can marry her. First of all, his wife is at this point about 100 years old. So how hot is his 100-year-old wife? Because you're like, this is Pharaoh, right? He can sleep with anyone. Like, he just can. Like, that's just the way it is, right? I mean, it's like King David. He can just kill anyone and sleep with whoever he wants. Like, like Pharaoh, he's got his choice of any woman on the planet. Odds of him lusting after a 90-year-old woman? Pretty low, I reckon. Like, I mean, just practically. And yet, no, apparently not. So apparently, like, Sarah had some, like, supernatural hotness or whatever. I don't know. Like, she looked good for a 90-year-old. Um, but Abraham's sitting there thinking, mm, they're going to kill me so they can marry, so he can be with Sarah. So he says, oh, she's my sister, right? Basically saying, ah, you can sleep with her if you want because she's just my sister. And he's basically pimping out his wife so he doesn't die. And what's funny is God doesn't tell him off. God gets mad at Pharaoh and Pharaoh comes across and he yells at Abraham. He's like, dude, your God told me that that's your sister. That's not your sister. That's your wife. And I almost slept with her and that would have been screwed up. God would have been mad at me. You need to get your act together. And God never corrects Abraham. He, 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 calls Pharaoh into question. And what's funny is he goes back 15 years later. So now his wife is like 105 and he's still worried about it. So he does it again. The same freaking thing. He says, oh, that's my sister. Here, you can just sleep with her. And again, God doesn't call him on it. Like he just goes, oh, Pharaoh, you better watch out for this because that's not his sister. And you're like, this happens again and again. Abraham is deeply unfaithful, deeply um, disobedient. And yet God continues to walk with him, to believe in him more than he believed in God and to trust him and to say, I love how much faith you have, which apparently was like when Jesus says you need faith the size of a mustard seed. I don't think he was messing around. I think he's actually serious. I think like a really small amount of faith and God's like, wow, that's amazing. And a lot of it is comes down to like how we view faith. So if you look in, especially the charismatic church, we, we have this thing about faith of like, you know, you've got to climb and build your faith and grow your faith. And you guys have heard that a lot, right? Grow your faith, grow your faith, grow your faith. And, and I just think it's really messed up. Like we have this idea of like Reinhard Bonnke has got like this amazing faith and like Bill Johnson up there as well. And, you know, whoever else you like think, oh, wow, they're amazing. And then you come down a bit and you're like, well, you know, my pastor, he's got more faith than me, but not as much as Bill Johnson. I wish Bill Johnson was my pastor, you know, or whatever. And you, you work your way down and eventually you get down here and you're like, well, that's me. Pretty crappy. And then you look down at like the people you don't like and go, yeah, but at least I'm not as bad as them. They have no faith or, you know, and then there's the unbeliever who's got like zero faith or, right. But we, we kind of have this, and one day I'll climb and climb and climb and I'll have faith like Bill Johnson or Reinhard Bonnke. And I just don't know how much that's what God's talking about. Like, I just don't. Because on that spectrum, I'm sure Abraham looked good on some days, but on the whole, he's not very good. And so it makes me wonder, what is faith? When we look at the New Testament, we see all these calls to faith. When Jesus says, hey, I want you to have faith. What is he talking about? I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I want, I want to reiterate it just because I think it's really important that we get it. The word in Greek, faith, is this word that basically means trust. It means acceptance. And what it is, is to hear God speak and to agree with it. It's not to um, somehow come to some amazing intellectual ascension. It's not to strive to try and believe something. Like, you don't have to try and believe something. You either do or you don't. Like, you've got two options when it comes to belief. You either do or don't. 
And so oftentimes we look at faith on this this one scale on one side of like what you've got lots of faith or little faith or a bit of faith but i don't think that's what the bible's talking about at all i think the bible is saying you know in in romans it says you can grow by faith it says faith comes by hearing the word of god and that word of god again it's not the bible it's, it's it, the word is rhema and so it says faith comes when you hear god speaking to you right now like that moment where you know when god speaks to you and just everything comes alive and you're like whoa god is like on this and you're like whoa, whoa. that moment you grow in faith and what faith is if faith is trust of course it comes when god speaks because if god says to you and he says hey i'm going to provide for that bill well if you trust that you've just grown in faith that's it. That's all that's required is you trust that he said, I'm going to provide for that bill. But the problem is that we don't usually stop there. When God says, I'm going to pay for that bill, and you go, oh, okay, thanks. Wow. You have faith, right? So you, you shoot up and you're like, yes, I've grown in faith. I, I believe that God will pay for that bill. But then you look at your bank account and you go, oh, crap, right? But this faith doesn't go down. You don't stop believing that God will pay the bill. Like, God. God says he's paid the bill. You, you believe that God can do that. What happens is you also put faith in my bank account is in serious trouble, right? So I don't know if he can pay the bill looking at that. Or another bill comes in and goes, oh, I don't know if I can pay both bills. You know, God says to you, I can heal the sick. And you go, yeah, I believe God can heal the sick. But you look at someone and go, well, I've never seen God heal someone like that. I've never seen someone come out of a wheelchair. Or you go, yeah, but I've got a whole bunch of sick sin in my life. So maybe he won't use me to heal the sick. And so what we do is we put our faith in multiple things and weaken that gift that God has given us. Because faith is a gift. Faith isn't something you grow and you work on. Because here's the thing. This is the beauty of this. is Abraham's, uh, Paul's saying, look, it's like Abraham. All you need is faith. It's not about what you do. It's about faith. And then what do we do? We make it all about faith in a really action-y, do-y way, right? So, okay, I don't need to read the Bible every day. I don't need to go to church every Sunday. I don't need to pray every morning. I don't need to pray every night. I don't need to do all these things. But I do need faith. And so instead of us looking around and going, they're a good Christian. They're up here. And they're not as good. They're down here. Instead, what we do is we just look at people's faith and go, ah, oh, they've got more faith. So they're up here. They're a better Christian. And I'm here, so I'm okay, but I'm not as good as that person. And I'm better than this person. And we just make it this whole new game where we build our pride and humility based on how strong we believe. But if faith is a gift, it's not about that at all. It's about just receiving God's words, what he speaks to us and saying, yeah, okay, I believe that. And so I think a lot of the time it's not about growing our faith. I think that just happens naturally as we are with God and we're talking to God. I think a lot of time it's about losing our faith. It's growing what God is saying and letting God speak and, and, and saying, okay, 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 I believe that. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. But at the same time going, uh, I'm going to throw out all these other beliefs that I'm holding. So when God says I'm going to pay the bill, I throw out the belief that says, oh, I don't have enough money this month. It doesn't say you become irresponsible, but you just don't hold on to that belief that says, well, I don't think I will be able to pay bills. When God says I can heal the sick through you, you throw out the belief that says, oh yeah, but except for that one, that one, and that one. You just put it to that. You say, I'm not putting my faith in that. I'm holding on to just what God is saying. Because I think when God is looking back and saying, Abraham, wow, his faith was amazing. Abraham had a whole bunch of crap over here. A lot of belief in a lot of things. Oh, uh, if they see that, that, that my wife's so hot, they'll kill me. And it's like, Abraham, dude, you've got crazy promises on your life to like have kids, have like a des descendants as many as nations. Like if you just held on to that and put all this stuff away, you'd be fine. You wouldn't even worry. You'd show up at Egypt, uh, at Egypt with, and see the Pharaoh and be like, yeah, that's my wife. She's smoking hot, isn't she? How you doing? Like, you wouldn't have a fear of like, oh, you're going to kill me. Because you know the promises on your life. You know that God's protecting you. You know that God's your provider. You're holding on and you have faith. So he has these things, but he's also got all this other stuff going on. But the beauty is God doesn't care about all the other stuff. He cares in the sense that it hurts us and it, it slows us down and it breaks us down all sorts of things. But he only sees the good in us. He only sees what we're, what we're holding on to of his. And he, in that place, is wanting us to work on the other stuff. He's wanting us to let go of the other stuff and lose all that faith we put in unhelpful stuff. But the beauty is, he's not basing it on anything other than, are you hearing what he's saying and saying, yeah, okay, I believe that. I receive that. That's exciting. It's, it gets me really excited that 
the level of faith we need is minimal. It's not about growing our, like, and working and striving to grow our faith. It's not about looking at a situation and going, right, I've got to believe, I've got to believe, I've got to believe, because that doesn't do anything. It's not about that. And the truth is, Paul says, doesn't he? He says, um, it's by grace you're saved and not works. And he says, uh, it's, so it's by grace through faith. He says, but, and this is Ephesians 2.8, he says, it's by grace through faith. And he says, but that faith is a gift, lest you were thinking of boasting about that. So what does he say there? He's saying, look, you used to boast in all the works you did, but it's not about works. It's by grace through faith. He says, but even that faith, he's like, I can see where you're going. He's like, that faith is a gift. So don't even think about boasting about it. Because that's what we do, isn't it? We, we used to boast about all our works and we used to be proud about how much works we have and how good we are. And then God goes, no, it's not about your works. It's about grace. And you access that grace through faith. And then we go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, but I've got so much faith. Look how much faith I've got. And he's like, for God's sake, like, I just tried to get rid of your pride and all that stuff in you. Like, that faith was a gift. Stop boasting about it. So it's important that we have that faith. Like, that faith is everything. It, it, it connects us to the grace. You know, we talked about that. Like, if I put, um, if you went to the ATM and you only had 20 bucks in your account, um, and you put your card in and it says, how much do you want? Do you want $10, $20, $50, $100, $250? You'd be like, uh, well, I know 20 is my highest option here. And I'm not even sure if that's a good idea. Maybe I'll take 10, right? I mean, that's what you would think if you've got 20 pounds in the account. And so just a no-brainer. I believe I have 20. I, all the information I have available to me is I have 20 pounds. I'm not going to take more. But if someone transferred a million pounds to your account, you could take all the money you want out. It wouldn't make any difference, Right? But if you don't believe someone's transferred a million pounds to your account, you're still going to take either 10 or 20. There's no way you're hitting 100 because you don't believe you've got more than 20. And so your faith is hugely important, but your faith comes by hearing his voice. It comes by him saying, hey, I've put a million in your account. And you go, okay, I believe that. I receive that. Let's stop there because I don't want to belabor the point of Romans uh, of, of faith. But I, I just wanted to give that little bit of introduction and, and kind of see he's trying to unravel some of this stuff. He's starting to unravel. It's about um, it's about being in the Jewish line and saying, well, actually, everyone outside the Jewish line is in. And he's unraveling. It's about what I do. Am I circumcised? Am I obeying the law? And he's saying, well, actually, the people that aren't circumcised and aren't obeying the law, they're in as well if they believe. And then he's even unraveling. But that belief isn't supposed to be this great, massive, amazing faith. It's not like only Bill Johnson and Reinhard Bonnke and Heidi Baker are saved. Even people like Abraham are saved. People that have pretty bad faith a lot of the time. So this would have really antagonized the Jews. And it's going to get more and more and more frustrating for them as well as time goes on. Because he's going to keep poking and jabbing at different things that they believe. Um, so we'll look at that in a bit. But we'll, we'll break for another 10 minutes or so. Thank you for listening to the Destiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.